Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to A Good Football Show's Week 12 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain, and in just a few moments here, I'll be joined by everyone from the NBC Sports Edge team who covered the games for us today to go through each game and talk a little bit about, you know, beyond what we can see in the box score, get that, you know, additional context that's going to help you make the right fantasy decisions as we move here into the fantasy playoffs just around the corner. Let's get to the games. The Dolphins defeated the Panthers 33-10 to in a game where Cam Newton tied his lowest completions in a game for his entire career with just five. Chris Allen, this was not the, the fun Cam Newton game we were promised. No, it wasn't. And it was really just, I'm not sure if we expected to see Cam Newton kind of come back to what we thought Cam Newton could be after such an emotional and, I mean, a decent showing for him in week 11. But to see the wheels completely come off in this game, it was somewhat devastating to watch. I mean, it it went from at least uh, had some hope towards the beginning. Of course, their first couple of drives, they started off with some drops to DJ Moore, but then he winds up connecting with DJ Moore on a 62-yard pass. He winds up taking his rushing touchdown into the end zone, but then it went from bad to worse with interceptions. I mean, multiple. I mean, one on just a pass to Robbie Anderson that was just behind him, another one off a tipped pass. We see Christian McCaffrey also getting hurt. So just the entire offense just completely, I guess, imploded on itself. And then Newton was really just the one that I guess we assign most of the blame to as we see him getting benched. PJ Walker coming in. It's not like he did any better. Also getting sacked on multiple plays before he also gets picked off. So it could be a combination of the offense not being in sync or cam newton being cam newton but there's really nothing other to take away from this game than just it just sucks to be a panthers fan at this point when did the benching occur because you know this is a game where they lost 33 to 10 like was just complete garbage time when pj walker was in um they you know they completed the same number of passes. Right, yeah, and it was uh, actually partway through the third quarter, so it was a legitimate benching. It's not like it was at the point where, I mean, the Dolphins were well enough ahead that the game was out of reach for either team. I mean, not to say that the Panthers, with the way they had been putting up their offensive production to that point, they could have made it a fight, but still at that point, it was fairly clear with as bad as Cam Newton had looked throughout most of the game. I mean, at that point, he was, I mean, he was getting, I mean, sacked on multiple 
multiple plays. I mean, he was more like the inaccuracies were starting to come out, as you mentioned beforehand, just the five completed passes throughout the entire game. I mean, we're talking career lows. I mean, in passer rating, completion percentage, total completions for Cam Newton. I mean, it was a, it was a, a historically bad outing for not just Cam Newton, but just like as a quarterback in general. I think it was Mark Sessler from uh, the NFL Network that had put out that this is one of the worst games from a production standpoint of any quarterback since Joey Harrington back in 2004. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad if you're getting compared to a quarterback that hasn't been in the league for quite some time. So it was just, it was really tough to watch. Yeah, we don't really talk about quarterback quarterback rating all that much, but 5.8 was Newton's quarterback yeah. rating in this game. Not exactly, uh, you know, you, you want to be around 100. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that not not a good showing. Congratulations to DJ Moore who gets over 100 and gets over 100 yards with 103 yards here, going four for 103 on 10 targets. Uh, Seems like he can get it done no matter the circumstances, but obviously the, the poor quarterback plays hurting him. Anything regarding the, the passing game? Um, Robbie Anderson only went one for 15. Congratulations to Mike Leone, friend of the show, by the way. He took down the Thunderdome mm-hmm. today. He did also recommend at one point Robbie Anderson or said he was back in play this week. So, you know, no one's perfect. No one's no one's perfect, Even not even Leone. Uh, Robbie Anderson, though, you know, Brandon Zilstra, one for 24. You know, there's doesn't seem like there's really anything here outside of DJ Moore. Exactly. I think that's pretty much it. And even looking at DJ Moore's 103-yard stat line, I mean, 64 of those yards just came on the one long pass from Cam Newton. So outside of that, I mean, we're talking about just another poor outing for DJ Moore. And now with the future for this Panthers offense kind of in question, are they going to go back to Cam Newton? Uh, Are they going to continue this either hybrid approach that they had tried in the Arizona game where they were having PJ Walker and Cam Newton out in the field? What does this mean for the rest of the pass catchers with Robbie Anderson essentially going Going back to the way he had looked throughout the earlier parts of the season, Christian McCaffrey logging the, his first game, I believe, in his career without having a reception. So it's just what I don't know what to make of this entire offense at this point, nor can we make any sort of predictions about that offense moving forward as they like literally limp into their bye week. I mean, with Christian McCaffrey also banged up again, I think Fox had reported that he had rolled his ankle. Uh, at some point during the parts of the second quarter where he wound up missing the final drive uh, heading into the into the halftime, uh, didn't really see him on the first drive coming out of halftime, played maybe a minor role like throughout the third quarter, but after that we really didn't see much of him. That also went with, I mean, Cam Newton also being benched as well. Yeah, the Christian McCaffrey stuff is pretty concerning because you mentioned he doesn't record a reception. He had only one target. Uh, he had... 10 rushes for 35 yards, you know, and and even if he was banged up, Chuba Hubbard only had one target, did not record a reception. Mir Abdullah did have six targets, uh, went two for 20. So there was some uh, receiving production out of the backfield, but to the wrong guy. And then, of course, Cam Newton did rush for a touchdown. uh, So he stole the only touchdown of the entire day. Uh, on the ground. So McCaffrey wasn't involved there, but the receiving usage for McCaffrey is pretty concerning. Uh, you know, especially if we get Newton again, who doesn't seem like he's even running the offense here, you know, cause that certainly they did not intend for McCaffrey to, to only see one target in this game. Right. And it could, again, it could be a product of that offensive line. I mean, coming into this game, I mean, Carolina's offensive line, I mean, bottom six in terms of uh, uh, adjusted sack rate allowed. I mean, their pass 
pass block win rate was also well below the league average. So, I mean, this has still been a problem for Carolina for the past couple of seasons. Bringing Cam Newton back, I mean, unless they were going to have him go out on design runs on over like half of their plays, that wasn't going to change much. And seeing uh, seeing P.J. Walker get sacked, I mean, four times in that game after after they benched Newton, I mean, it's, it's really not just the, a Newton problem. It's a uh-huh. Carolina offensive personnel problem. I mean, having issues with both their left guard and their right tackle as well, giving up multiple sacks throughout that game. So it's just an entire offensive issue that I'm hoping they can solve during their bye week or at least start to work on over their bye week. On the other side, Miles Gaskin got in the end zone twice here, going 16 for 49, so just 3.1 yards per carry. But he does get two touchdowns, and he also had three yards through the air on on two receptions, uh, two targets for Gaskin. So not hyper-involved as a receiver, but gets in the end zone a couple times. Uh, Philip Lindsay got some run. I assume that was mostly in garbage time. What did you see out of the backfield here? Uh, so Miles Gaskin, he winds up actually getting into the end zone on two, a couple of a wild back carries. Uh, actually, if I'm remembering correctly, he leads the league in terms of wildcat touchdowns. And it's actually pretty decent to see uh, Brian Flores and just the offense in general trying to be as creative as they possibly can. And I think when we're talking about Carolina's offensive line and acknowledging that that's a problem, at least with Miami, it looks like they're trying to plan around it either using the quick passing game from Tua to Waddle, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a second, but also seeing them use the speed and the athleticism of their playmakers. I mean, while Miles Gaston wouldn't be a playmaker when we talk about him at the at a macro level from a league sense, but at least at least Miami uh, acknowledges the fact that he's one of their best players like on their particular squad, and so using him in that sense actually really winds up, I guess, boosting their offensive uh, offensive output, even if it comes at, I guess, the at the expense of a Tua getting any one of those possible rushing touchdowns or a passing touchdown to any one of their players. What about the uh, the receivers here? I mean, Jalen Waddle had a very big day, uh, 10 targets, nine receptions, 137 yards and a touchdown. Um, seems like, you know, like a, a kind of a, a more efficient day than we're used to seeing out of Waddle. He's been able to rack up targets, but to see this kind of production was really nice. 57 yards was, was his young, longest reception. Uh, what did you make of the rookie's big day? I mean, it was great seeing him still continue to have that connection with Tua. I mean, once Tua came back into like into the lineup when he was activated, uh, not activated, but he came in for Jacoby Brissett just a couple of weeks ago, and Tua was already seventh in EPA per play over the last, like, let's say, game and a half since he came in, uh, essentially in the second half of uh, that game that they played against Baltimore, also at about 34.4 yards per drive as well. So seeing, but it's really just that short passing game, like I mentioned beforehand. And since they can use that to their advantage i mean Tua had just a 5.1 a dot just this past week and then now seeing them continue to use waddle on that short passing game watching him essentially create on his own after the catch i mean we're talking about a guy that essentially has the speed and also the the hands of a decent receiver i mean that almost looked like debo samuel-esque out there with the way that he can Mm -hmm. run after the catch and wind up like putting uh, getting into the paint like we saw earlier today so hopefully they can continue to build around him I would like to be able to see guys like Devontae Parker, Will Fuller come back at some point, or at least them have some sort of primary or alpha like perimeter wide receiver. But for right now, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So the offense is humming with uh, the waddle into a connection. And then anything to note on Jasicki, he didn't have a very good day here, just going three for 17. And Durham Smythe, you know, was, was a little bit more involved, getting five targets. Jasicki's three, going five for 32. But uh, sometimes this bounces around in Miami with their tight end targets. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, really the only other revelation out of that offense was just seeing a little bit more from Philip Lindsay, uh, not just as a runner, but also as a blocker. I believe it was on uh, one of their, uh, uh, I guess when it was, uh, there was a block from uh, uh, Miles Gaskin and also Philip Lindsay that wound up springing the offense for a couple of big gains. So again, using the personnel that they have, trying to at least not essentially use their offensive line as an excuse and using their personnel. It was great to see Philip Lindsay, I mean, just in his second game, getting involved, uh, getting involved in that passing game or uh, just getting involved in the offense in general. So I'm expecting to see a little bit more from him moving forward. Let's move to the second game here where the Broncos defeated the Chargers 28 to 13. Surprising win here for the Broncos. And they now have three wins in their last four games. How did they get the upset here? So here, I mean, it really was just one of those Vic Fangio type of games where as long as they control uh, they can control the ball for as much as possible, still have a productive running game and not give up too many mistakes or not uh, have too many mistakes on offense, this is a game that they can wind up putting, to, uh, putting away with, I guess, ball control, time of possession, and that's what we saw today. I mean, the big concern was when uh, Teddy Bridgewater wound up taking a shot to his leg. He was out for about a quarter or so, wound up coming back in the second half half i mean he was limping uh and they still wound up putting him in over drew lock which really gives you a sense of how they feel about drew lock at this point since drew lock actually threw an interception uh to derwin james but i think that still i mean that's essentially the game plan or like how they want to attack opposing offense just opposing teams in general is if they can use both melvin gordon javante williams mount some offense that way and then wind up not having too many turnovers or at least mistakes on offense play with play decent defense even without having von miller they were able to generate enough pressure on justin herbert to like limit that off uh, their offensive production as well and that's how they wound up winning this game yeah let's talk about the backfield uh melvin gordon i know was banged up uh early in the game but uh played throughout uh he had 17 rushes for 83 yards and then Javante Williams had 14 rushes for 54 yards and a touchdown. Javante Williams had four targets as well, going three for 57. Very productive through the air. Melvin Gordon had two targets, went one for five. So uh, Williams had more production through the air than we're used to. But overall, it seems like this was kind of the same backfield pre-bye week. Was that your read? Yeah, that was my read. I mean, I was expecting, I was hoping to see more Javante Williams, just like everybody else, like after Melvin Gordon went down. But after Melgo actually went down, came back, I mean, it was that essential split where we've seen this every week, right? Where it's Melvin Gordon will wind up having a decent play here and there. Javante Williams will do Javante Williams things, whether it's break a few tackles, drag a fourth guy for a couple of extra yards. And then like we saw today where he took a three to four yard pass, like down the right sideline, shaking two defenders, and then wound up with that 42 yard, uh, 42 yard reception as well. That took them down to the one yard line. I thought he scored, but at least uh, he was able to generate that much through the air. So he does these things on a weekly basis. But again, with the way that the Broncos are playing right now and the way that they want to win, it's never going to be through one guy, at least from a backfield perspective. I mean, at the the very least, we might be able to say that Javante Williams might have earned the 1A in that uh, particular backfield, but it's never going to be a one or you know running back one, running back two thing, or even Javante Williams like getting all the workload to himself. I mean, this this team needs that sort of production where again they're controlling the ball, having sound like football, like from a rushing perspective, which doesn't really help us all too much from a fantasy perspective, but at least it gets them to the point where they're able to control the game, and that's what we saw here today. Yeah, I'm curious what the route data will show uh, with these two running backs because, 
you know, Javante Williams is nice to see him up to four targets here, but um, it's possible that he just happened to get targeted at a very high rate this week mm-hmm. uh, per the routes. But what, what about the rest of the uh, receivers here with, uh, you know, Tim Patrick going two for 26 on three targets, Judy going two for 25 on three targets, Sutton two for 17 on three targets. I mean, not a very productive passing game. I understand though, that they were ahead in this game. They're looking to salt the game away. They didn't have Bridgewater for much of the game. Drew Locke went four for seven, 26 yards and an interception. So, you know, when Bridgewater's not out there, I'm sure they weren't looking to throw. And when they were throwing, it wasn't going great. But what did you take away of, uh, out of the past here? I mean, that's essentially it. I mean, if we're already talking about a positive game script for Denver, we're already not expecting them to pass a lot anyway. I mean, throughout this season, especially over their last like three to four games, they're already at a minus 4% pass rate over expectation. You also give them at least a one to two score lead in this game as well. After that, Patrick Sertan like pick six off of Justin Herbert. I mean, there's really no passing that's going to be there anyway, or at least none of those aggressive passes that we saw from uh, Teddy Bridgewater earlier in the season. So that's why, again, we start to see I mean, less work for guys like Cortland Sutton that play on the outside or even any of the tight ends as well, where it's just we're going to continue to use the tight ends as blockers and we're going to continue to actually move the football or move the offense like through through the running backs. So until we really get them into a situation where they're going to be forced to throw, which could be next week since they're playing against Kansas City, I mean, I would expect to see just more work for guys like Tim Patrick, guys like Jerry Judy. I mean, those types of players are going to be the ones they're going to rely on because they're not really going to need to do anything else if their running backs continue to play so well. That makes sense. What about on the Chargers side here? You know, it's one thing to lose to the Broncos, but to lose to the Broncos and not have any receivers over 100 yards, Keenan Allen, leading the way with 85, not really have much fantasy production. I mean, Mike Williams only went four for 39 on eight targets here. Eckler had six for 68 and a touchdown through the air. Uh, He had 12 for 31 on the ground. Uh, So he had a decent day because he got the touchdown. Jared Cook got in the end zone going two for for 25 with a touchdown. But just a very disappointing day out of the Chargers offense. Uh, Why was that the case? you know, given how many passing attempts Herbert had here throwing 44 times. Because they just had a number of uh, number of drives that wound up stalling out and either having turnovers on downs or having to punt. I, I got at least like three to four like total uh, uh, total drives where it was like ten plays for forty yards and they come away with no points. Eleven plays for forty one yards and okay they come away with a touchdown, but then they follow that up with another drive that was either a three and out or four five six plays and they couldn't convert. And so then this was the problem with their offense throughout the day was the level of inconsistency that we saw from them. Now, of course, like for fantasy managers, it was great to see Herbert looking, I mean, consistently looking for Keenan Allen. I mean, he pulled them out of a jam a number of times on third down conversions. But again, they'd get into those third and longs when even when they got into uh, enemy territory, weren't able to convert on those particular plays, and then they have to punt it away. So I think that was part of the issue that they had like during the during the game today. And then on top of that, like the interceptions coming at the most inopportune times. Uh, there was one that actually uh, the it was the pick six that actually went through the hands of Austin Eckler that uh, Sertan wound up taking to the house. I mean, Eckler was I mean, he could have probably had a decently a good chunk game like afterwards, especially he would uh, with the way that he'd been mm. playing so far that he could have shook Sertan for another five to ten yards. But it's just those plays that come up at that particular time during the game. That's what contributed to the Chargers offense really not being able to at least get off the ground or find a, any sort of rhythm so that they could actually produce more on offense. And then what 
about Mike Williams, you know, it's kind of a disappointing stretch here for Mike Williams after the really hot start has come down to earth in a big way. Uh, I believe he had a, uh, a nice catch called back. Um, if I recall, or were there yeah, any kind of yeah, an OPI? Yeah. Okay. It was an OPI. Uh, yeah. So they did, they had that one, which I thought was a pretty, uh, was a pretty ticky tack call on the OPI there. It was like, it was on a third and 15, which I, I thought was, I didn't really see that, but it was, uh, but now we're starting to look at this offense almost in the same way that they played it in, uh, played it in 2020 with Mike mm-hmm. Williams, essentially playing like having that like higher, you know, 11, 12 yard, dot Keenan Allen playing in the slot. But now we've also seen an uptick in the usage for the tight ends. We're seeing, I mean, Jared Cook, when he comes down with that essentially like Hail Mary touchdown pass from Justin Herbert, Steven Anderson getting involved. I mean, I would like to see Donald Parham like worked in as well. But as, I mean, we're seeing so many other pass catchers involved. I mean, when we, if you rewind back to the beginning of the season, it really was a more concentrated offense. Like whereas Austin Eckler, I mean, Keenan Allen was still working in. Mike Evans was a larger part of it. And that was essentially it. Like, in, I mean, Austin Eckler as well. So it's really those like three or four guys. But now we have at least more players that are getting involved. I mean, heck, we even saw Joshua Kelly trying to hurdle players as well, like they're in this game. So it's just with the level of personnel that's now being worked into the Chargers offense and Mike Williams going from an intermediate player, like a 10, 11 yard dot to what we saw, like or what we've seen over the past few weeks with it skyrocketing back to 13, 14, 15 yards. I mean, it becomes more difficult for Mike Williams to really produce as a fantasy player like he did at the earlier parts of the season. Yeah, that's a great point. Josh Palmer had two targets here. Jalen Guyton had three. Steven Anderson had two. Uh, Kelly had three. Parham had one. Trey McKitty had one. Uh, backup running back Darius Bradwell had one, which I don't know if that was garbage time. But, you know, to your point, a very spread out target tree here, um, which is going to going to hurt the the big fantasy relevant guys for sure. Uh, But Chris Allen, thanks so much. Anytime. The Patriots defeated the Titans 36 to 13 to get their sixth straight win. And the Patriots are currently the one seed in the AFC after this win. Pat Darty, we kind of expected the Patriots to beat the Titans here given their injury issues, but they certainly delivered. They did. And uh, I mean, the Patriots, they they can keep getting away with this. They can just Keep getting away with it forever, Pat. And uh, there's just no no escape from the New England Patriots. And yeah, it was a more competitive game than I was expecting. The Titans really, really got their running attack going. They had 39 carries for 270 yards. Uh, seemed to take the Patriots by surprise there. But the corollary was you know, the Patriots' tough pass defense uh, held Ryan Tannehill to under, to under 100 yards. You know, not surprising with this complete lack of weapons. We, we'll get to the Titans in a minute. There's nothing for the Titans to do. Uh, but on, on offense, the Patriots had to pass a little more than expected. It, it led to uh, a new season high for yards for Mac Jones, his fifth multi-score effort. And what I was trying to get with this meandering point is that I feel like the game probably unfolded a little different than the Patriots were expecting, but you know, still another plus 23 in the point differential column. And, you know, just another thing that good teams do, like the game didn't really unfold as planned and they still come out, you know, with a three touchdown victory. And uh, yeah, another huge win heading into like their first real test in a really long time in week 13 in a a road trip to Buffalo. Yeah, it kind of feels like the jokes on the Titans here if they, you know, were surprising the Patriots in the way they were, you know, deploying their personnel because they only scored 13 points. Your quarterback throws for less than 100 yards. Uh, You know, 
Hilliard and Foreman each had over 100 yards. Hilliard goes 131 yards, Foreman 109 yards. Hilliard gets in the end zone. So that's nice. But, you know, a lot of that's supposed to be that you then can set up a, an effective passing game. They weren't able to do that. Obviously, they have A.J. Brown out. Obviously, they have Julio Jones out. So, you know, playing very shorthanded here. But what did you make of the Titans' offensive attack here? Yeah, I don't quite understand how it was so, so effective. Uh, Dontrell Hilliard is averaging over eight and a half yards per carry uh, since he first was activated from the practice squad last week. <laughs> so don't know where this guy has been for them. But, I mean, I always I know that I was always rostering him when he was on the Browns. Like, he was always one of the sneakier third down backs, the guy you kind of keep on the back end of your dynasty roster. And, by the way, he, he, he was not involved in the passing game today. He either caught, like, one or zero passes after he caught eight balls last week. That was very mysterious considering the Titans' lack of pass-catching options. But uh, they've got something they, – they've at least – you know, it's not great options, but they have – like they were very methodical about – it took several weeks, but I feel like they did it as quick as they possibly could, of like narrowing down what which part of their post-Derrick Henry backfield actually works. You know, they didn't mess around with Adrian Peterson too long. They were aggressively – gave Deontay Foreman opportunities. They've aggress- aggressively given Dontra Hilliard opportunities, and they seem to have found their two best runners. I have no idea what Jeremy McNichols's role might be when he returns from injuries, but these seem to be their two best options. I would very much expect uh, Dontra Hilliard and Deontay Foreman to be the Titans' two-man backfield when they return from bye against a really soft matchup in Week 14 against the Jaguars. Yep, and then anything to take away from kind of this – just slew of guys they sort of tried out. I mean, Despots Patrick, Michael Pruitt, Nick Westbrook Akine, uh, Cody Hollister. Jacob like, Hollister's twin brother apparently is a real is that person. Right? Yeah, I, that's, the that's the pause was me clicking the his name to see what the C stood for. Uh <laughs> Jeff Swaim, Anthony Ferkser, Chester Rogers, uh Tory Carter. That was another pause as I find out what the D is. <laughs> There's a ton of guys here that I like literally hadn't heard of. Um, so, you know, I guess there's not too much to take away from this, but, you know, except that the Titans passing game might be one to avoid going forward. Yeah, I mean, I watched this game and I have never heard of Tory Carter until just now wow, when you said his name. <laughs> and I just looked, glanced over at the box score. I'm like, yep, there he is. He had a target, apparently. Uh, didn't catch it. Um, but, yeah, not only are none of these names impact names – I mean, we saw today what the Titans truly want to do. The pass attempts fell from 52 last week to 21 today. They're going to do, you know, even in the best of times, they do everything they possibly can to avoid uh, pass attempts. And this is not the best of times with their personnel deficiencies right now. And now they finally got like a little something going uh, with Foreman and Hilliard. There's just no way to see. Any of these guys, I mean, I guess Westbrook Akin, Akinye, sorry if I pronounce his last name wrong. Uh, he's like the one, he's like the one guy like kind of seemingly getting there every week. You know, he had the 100 yard game compiling last week. He did have a touchdown today. He was the guy, it was a one yard touchdown. So Ryan Tanhill, you know, like looking to him like the tightest part of the field. Maybe that's something to cling to. It's like a, a desperation wide receiver four or five, but he's, he, you know, that he's gotten home a few different ways in fantasy. So NWI is really the only one I'd even roster. I mean, Des Fitzpatrick, you keep around in your dynasty leagues, the rookie. But, I mean, Chester Rogers, you're not bothering with that. And Torrey Carter, who you know, I, I was just kidding. I knew Torrey Carter existed. Uh, you don't mess around with Tony Carter or Cody Hollister, who I also knew existed. 
Yeah, Cody Halsterism. Let's go. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Patriots because, because yeah, clearly not too much to take away from Titans guys, but uh, the Patriots backfield always very interesting. Ramondre Stevenson leads here in rushing yards 46 to 40 over Harris, but had two less carries. Harris had 11 carries. Stevenson had nine. Uh, Stevenson had one target, did not catch it. And Damian Harris had one target, one reception for 12 yards. So pretty even split here. Uh, what about like how, in terms of the game flow was, was one of these guys kind of ahead of the other? I would say so. I mean, if you just looked at the box score, it, it looks like a 50, 50 split basically with Damian Harris only out carrying Ramondre 11 to nine, but five of Ramondre's carries came on one fourth quarter series. It wasn't like the dregs of garbage time, but the Patriots are already winning 29, 13, you know, the game was pretty much salted away. And that's where like the vast majority of Ramondre's carries came and, Damon Harris, you know, only 11 carries, not an impressive number, but he mixed in much more evenly throughout the game. He got the only two carries inside the two-yard line amongst the two backs. He got the only touchdown. Of course, that was a 14-yard tackle-breaking run, the kind of run Damian Harris is famous for now. And uh, Ramondre, so, you know, clear breather back, I mean, clear back. You know, they gave him a whole drive. Um, so, like, a part of the game plan – but Damian Harris very much still appearing to be the one A. Like you know, we were looking for tiebreakers between them during the week, and we figured Damian Harris would have the goal line uh, advantage, and that was certainly the case today. So Ramondre's involved, thankfully, but no indication that like uh, he's about to become the one A over Damian Harris. Okay, uh, Kendrick Bourne got in the end zone here twice. Uh, went five for sixty-one on six targets. Jacoby Myers led the team in receiving yards with 98 yards. He had five receptions on eight targets. What did you take away from the receiving game here? I should also mention Johnny Smith out-targeted, or sorry, out uh, had more yardage than Hunter Henry, 49 yards to 16, even though Hunter Henry had five targets to Smith's four. Yeah, if Bill Belichick apparently was playing into the revenge game narrative a bit with Jonu Smith where he told <laughs> Ian Eagle during the week that they wanted to get Jonu an early carry against his former team and they gave him a nine, he got a nine-yard rush on a jet sweep early That's in the awesome. game. Uh, his missed connection was an end zone target for Jonu. Uh, it was a little misleading. Hunter Henry uh, had a 26-yard touchdown. He was wide open and Mac Jones made his worst throw of the day, just missed him. Like he was just truly wide open, would have been a walk-in. And so, yeah, the live by the touchdown, die by the touchdown. Hunter Henry died when the quarterback made a bad throw. For Kendrick Bourne uh, and uh, who, who's the other guy? Jacoby Myers, the other guys on the Patriots. They both made big plays on Kevin Byard, which was interesting. Jacoby Myers had like a 38, 39-yard grab where he went over the top of Kevin Byard. Kendrick Bourne caught a dime. The Danny just got over Kevin Byard in the end zone and then uh, Kendrick Bourne, though, made the play of the day, kind of the play that got him signed by the Patriots to begin with, the kind of stuff he would do with the 49ers. He took just a standard short target, uh, found a seam, in like in a crowd of like four defenders somehow found the sideline, just like a really rugged after-the-catch guy, and just found the hole, had really, really fancy footwork near the sideline and got the 40-yard touchdown. So this it was like exactly – when I saw it, I'm like, this is why – this is why he got the money in free agency because he would pop up and do this stuff in San Francisco. And it kind of also just like epitomizes like he's valuable in real life, but not as valuable in fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he catches like four passes every week. I think this was his first five catch game since week four. I and mean, he's a, he's just a really valuable real life player for his offense, but 
the still hard capped in fantasy, even with the two touchdown day. I think I think now he's up to like four touchdowns in the year. So just a just a better guy if you're a Patriots fan than a fantasy manager. Yeah, it feels like Myers, uh, who had 98 yards, is kind of the only real option here, even with Bourne getting in twice. But let's move to the second game here where the 49ers defeated the Vikings 34-26. to Elijah Mitchell has his fourth 100-yard game now for the season. It's the most in franchise history for any 49ers rookie running back. Very impressive debut season for him. Pat, he was kind of able to play from ahead here for most of the game, right? He was, and but I mean, yeah. So the finger uh, is is good. I think uh, new career high thirty two touches, new career high one hundred and sixty eight yards from scrimmage. You know, he missed week eleven with the finger, but he's now he bookended that week eleven with a pair of twenty seven carry performances. So, you know, backfield where we're used to seeing a committee, it's still a committee if you count the wide receivers, I guess, and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk got a carry on Sunday. But I mean, Jeff Wilson had three touches. Uh, Trey Sermon did not touch the ball, suffered a serious ankle injury on special teams. It looks like his season might be done. Jermichael Hasty was not active with an ankle injury. So Shanny has found like his one back, like he's going to like a one backfield approach, it appears. Maybe that's different if Debo Samuel, who we'll talk about in a second, has a minor groin injury, can't play in work week 13. Maybe Jeff Wilson will get a bigger workload. But yeah, he got to play from ahead, got to be a front runner, like the best thing a running back can be. And took full advantage. You know, just lots of chunk gains, lots of five to six yard gains, and uh, he's Shanny's guy, and he's he's pushing into RB one valuation in fantasy. You know, got a soft week thirteen matchup on the Seahawks. Haven't looked at the week thirteen ranks yet, but I would not be surprised if Elijah Mitchell is an RB one. Wow. All right. Um, yeah, and it is interesting because Debo Samuel for the second straight week was kind of operating as a running back or at least, you know, a true hybrid player. Like we've seen him in the past, but he had not been for much of this season. He had six rushes here for hundred for, for 66 <laughs> yards. Six felt like 66. Yeah. Felt like hundred, uh, two touchdowns. And, uh, he also then had four targets, but only went one for 12 as an actual receiver. So interesting usage from Samuel. And it, it feels like Samuel's backfield usage has opened up additional targets for Brandon. Ayuk. Um, because you know they're not competing so much as you know as receivers, but of course now we have this Debo Samuel injury to monitor as well. Yeah, a lot of moving parts of Debo Samuel because it felt like he was like the preferred back in the red zone, and he got the mm-hmm. two touchdowns. Uh, he, he's just really dangerous. All of his runs seemed like came when he was in pre-snap motion, and they just like love to get him with a head of steam. And you know, it seems like we see those plays so often not work. But Debo Samuel, it seems like every time he's got enough momentum where he actually finds the edge in this big, big place at a 49-yard run. And, yeah, just seemed comfortable operating as a true goal linebacker. But that, that's also where he got hurt. Now he tried – he was trying to stop his momentum to cut back and kind of slipped before he even got hit. And he tweaked his groin. You know, it seemed like a bad deal. Like he didn't seem like he was feeling too great. But he walked off the field under his own power. He was laughing for like the rest of the game on the sideline. Didn't seem too concerned about it, uh, but they said he's going to undergo an MRI, which you know, of course indicates some level of concern. Uh, he seems probably like he's avoided an injured reserve type situation in three games, but he seems genuinely questionable for week 13 against Seattle. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk, a new season high for yardage today, 91 yards, even though his catches got cut in half from last week. He went from seven to three. Like the volume is opening up with no Debo Samuel, but at the same time, you know, maybe coming down with the 49ers going so run heavy that 
there's just not going to be a ton of volume on a weekly basis. But uh, yeah, he definitely – we already knew he was a good enough player to like be a wide receiver three. Now like the volume's trending back to where he's at least in the top 40 every week. and Probably a lot of weeks will be in the top 36. And obviously higher if Debo Samuel is missing a, a really, really good matchup in week 13 against Seattle. That makes sense. And then what about George Kittle? I mean, pretty disappointing day here. One for 13 on two targets. Disappointing if you're not a real football fan, Pat, because he's thrown a lot of just amazing lead blocks. Cool. He actually, it actually, I know, it, but it, it it was it was like impressive enough where like it actually was noticeable to like a non-film watcher like me. Like, man, George Kittle's throwing some hellacious lead blocks here. <laughs> uh, this guy is so good at blocking, which we know is just the kiss of death yep. for a, a, a tight end. But yeah, his target share is just flukily low. I mean, two looks. On Jimmy Garoppolo's 26 attempts, I don't know what you call that other than a fluke. And, you know, this is the concern as this offense goes run heavy. You know, he's so good at blocking, but it, it's still hard to see him catching fewer than four to five weekly passes most weeks. And just kind of like the classic, you got to shake it off and move on. He's still a top five tight end one. I should also mention uh, Jawan Jennings here. He had a touchdown. He almost had a second touchdown, but his knee was just out. And I think uh, they kicked a field goal on that drive, so it could have been a really a lot of field goals. Him. Kicked a lot of field goals. They like the field goals, but any thoughts on Jennings here, especially since Samuel might be missing time? Yeah, he had two like legit end zone targets uh, for a guy like a twenty. I think it was a twenty twenty seventh rounder had like five catches all year. That definitely catches your attention when a guy like that. It almost seems like that was a point of emphasis, like something planned for the game. Like we like the way this guy operates in like short areas. Maybe he'll have some tough, tough hands at the goal line, and yeah, he was millimeters from a second touchdown. Uh, it's it's hard to read. It's still only three targets, but yeah, if Debo Samuel is out for Week 13, you know, maybe you're like a sicko. Maybe you maybe say you're in just a dynasty league where every single player is rostered. Maybe you can put in some dynasty bids and Jawan Jennings, who's still a relatively young player and an offense without you know a set target tree really beyond the big three. And Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. So, yeah, he'll probably just have zero catches next week. But I, I got my 14 team dynasty league where every single player is already rostered. Maybe I'll put out some Juwan Jennings bids this week. Makes sense. What about on the Vikings side? I mean, just kind of a disappointing showing all around. It looks like uh, Justin Jefferson leads the way with 83 yards. Dalvin Cook actually second with 64 yards. But I guess we should probably start with Cook. He had 64 yards through the air, going uh, six for 64 on seven targets. He had 39 yards on the ground, uh, loses a fumble, though, and exits with injury. Yeah, it was a very bizarre play. There was kind of like a pileup between his blocker and the defensive lineman where, like, in a big collision. It kind of like they got, like, driven into Dalvin. He got hit high, and it's kind of a meme in the NBC Sports Edge Slack chat every week. Like, oh, Dalvin Kirk Cook looks like he has a serious injury, but he usually just comes back the next drive. And that, that does like happen very frequently, Dalvin Cook. This was unfortunately uh, different from the jump. He got hit real high. He got his leg twisted up like very – I would have thought he had torn his ACL at first. But then in replace, he immediately – like literally immediately grabbed for, like his chest and shoulder area. The now says a shoulder injury. He has a history of shoulder injuries. You know, he got carded. He was in tears. This does not look like one he's just going to bounce back from immediately. And at the very least, you think Dalvin Cook is out for week 13 against the, the Lions, you know, an absolute smash spot in the Lions. And 
we know the deal with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. Anytime uh, Dalvin Cook's out, Alexander Madison's a plug-and-play RB1. And you know, they, they've got the, the rookie return guy, I, whose name escapes me, Kenny something, eludes me, making some big plays on it's special like a, teams. And Nwangwu, I think. Yeah, I, I, can't, I need to learn how to pronounce his name correctly because I think he's going to be a thing this week. And he, he makes a lot of big plays on special teams. Mike Zimmer said after the game he could mix in if Dalvin's out for a while, but definitely just plug and play Alexander, Alexander Madison RB1 season. Okay, and then uh, anything to take away from the receiving game? Adam Thielen had two touchdowns, goes five for 62 on seven targets. I mentioned Justin Jefferson at 83 yards, won four receptions, uh, getting nine targets today. I mean, third straight game that Justin Jefferson drew nine targets, but there was meat left on the bone. He had a 22-yard DPI that he drew. You know, that doesn't that doesn't help us in fantasy. He had a 24-yard pass, by the way. Uh, so that was interesting. Uh, but a lot of – it was just an inaccurate day from Kirk Cousins. He has been very accurate all year. Had a lot of inaccurate throws. The very final attempt of the game, Justin Jefferson came wide open over the middle of the field. Kirk just missed him. Justin Jefferson, as is so often the case for Kirk Cousins, his wide receivers did not hide his displeasure. Uh, he was wide open for a two-point conversion. Kirk like threw the ball at his feet. And you can basically see Justin Jefferson be like, what the hell, man? Like, like, come on. <laughs> like basically like requesting a trade in the middle of the end zone. And uh, <laughs> but he had a he could have had a much bigger game. He played an elite real life game. Uh, the only thing is that, you know, the Lions, even without Dalvin Cook. If you like to be a very run-heavy game plan for the Vikings, but they they certainly seem like they learned their lesson with that two-week lull with uh, with Justin Jefferson as he's basically averaging ten targets over the past three weeks. All right, Patrick Darty, thanks so much. My pleasure, as always. Other Pat, the Bengals defeated the Steelers forty-one to ten. Joe Mixon has three straight games now with two rushing touchdowns. He has eight touchdowns over his last five games and a perfect script here to salt away the game in a big win. Denny Carter, did the Steelers just not show up here? They did not. They really did not. <laughs> and, you know, the the game plan for Cincinnati was clear from the start. I, I tweeted early in the game that uh, Joe Mixon had seven touches on the first uh, series for Cincinnati, um, and they consistently fed him the ball with game script on their side. So he ended up with 28 carries. Uh, that would have been, you know, 30 plus uh, easily if uh, if this game had been even remotely competitive. Um, it probably would have also been 200 yards for him on the ground because uh, seemingly every every run was, you know, eight, ten yards, just ripping them off one after the other. The the uh, Steelers now have been uh, gashed on the ground two weeks in a row uh, by Austin Eckler last week, and then. Uh, Joe Mixon this week and uh, it, you know, beat writers for the Steelers at least say it has to do with them missing their starting nose tackle who was out again today. And uh, that, that has uh, really hampered their ability to stop the run. So, you know, maybe we can take advantage of that as fantasy managers if they continue to struggle with these injuries, because I could tell you they had no chance at stopping Mixon today. He was hardly touched on many of his runs. And to your point, Chris Evans had five rushes here for 23 yards. Uh, P. Ryan had three attempts for three yards. So you know you could see you can you know see in the box score that mm-hmm. this had been a closer game. It really could have been an absolutely monstrous day for Mixon. T. Higgins kind of had a breakout game here of sorts, but not a huge game. But 
went six for 114 yards and a touchdown on eight targets. Mm-hmm. A little ironic, you know, that he, it comes in a game where they're, you know, going rush heavy. Yeah. And all these games where Burrow actually went off, uh, Higgins didn't deliver. Right. Uh, so uh, T. Higgins got the uh, coverage from Joe Hayden's backups, uh, you know, guys who just subbing in trying to fill Joe Hayden's spot. And uh, Joe Burrow was keenly aware of this and really peppered Higgins with targets while the game was was still somewhat competitive, not not completely out of hand. Higgins ended up with eight targets that led the team by a good margin. Um, Chase only saw three targets on the day. And uh, Higgins caught six for 114 and a touchdown, including and, – and, and that, that touchdown was a, was a beautiful 32-yard uh, pass from, from Burrow to the corner of the end zone. Uh, where Higgins used his size to to tower the sky over a defender, so you know he he really he looks like a, a wide receiver one when you when you watch him. Like I know that he hasn't he has not been that, and it's been very frustrating for Higgins drafters. I I speak as one, so mm-hmm. I, I get it. Uh, but uh, today was was a good sign. Also, it, th- this happened like you said in a game where Joe Burrow only threw, only threw 24 times, only completed 20 passes. So for him to break out uh, in this game, I think is a, is a good sign. If the Bengals can ever, uh, you know, ramp up some pass volume or ever forced into that sort of script, uh, could be could be a bigger, much bigger day for Higgins. And it could have been a bigger day, right? Because he had a, a touchdown that they challenged to see if he had actually crossed uh, the goal line. And they lost the challenge. Yes, good call. Yeah, he. Um, it looked to be to be a touchdown from from where I stood, and and uh, and I it, I believe it it was called a touchdown on the field, uh, but maybe not. Maybe it was. Maybe the, oh, the Bengals challenged to see if it was a touchdown, and it, he was inches short. His knee was down as he extended the ball toward the goal line. Uh, so yeah, I mean it, it could have been a, a monster day, uh, but as as it stands, we will take. 114 yards and a touchdown from T. Higgins. We will. Any thoughts on Chase with the quiet day? Three targets, three receptions, 39 yards here. Or Boyd, who also had a very quiet day, two for yeah. two, two for 13 on two targets. So just kind of a symptom of the 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 game script. Just script. I mean, they they established so hard in this game. Uh, they they were never going to relent on that. And honestly, this is now what three weeks in a row where the Bengals have been you know, wildly run heavy. Um, and while we don't, we don't love it for, you know, those of us who have Bengals pass catchers, it's, it's kind of, I think what we have to accept if the Bengals are, are able to run this sort of offense with Mixon as the centerpiece, it seems like they're going to do it. Uh, so maybe we have to get used to that reality. And they get the chargers next. So they're yes. going to run the ball quite a right. bit. Uh, and then they get the Steelers again somehow. Uh, yeah, well, that's I a feel scheduling like this always quirk. happens. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, no! I just misread the schedule. Uh, they've already played the Steelers twice. Uh, they they got oh, the Forty Nine ers after them. Okay, okay gotcha. Um, all right, that would have been that would have been pretty weird. Let's talk yeah. about the Steelers though. Uh, very disappointing day for the offense as a whole. Mm-hmm. Najee Harris only has eight carries in this game, going for twenty three yards. He has. Uh, a little bit more involvement in the receiving game, I suppose. Five targets goes three for fourteen, but you know, yeah. no fantasy production on Najee Harris. Yeah, uh, was this kind of the the similar setup that he's had, where you know he's been getting a lot of opportunity and then 
not being so efficient, but here it seems like the opportunity dried up as well. It did. And um, I, I guess you would expect that in a game where, you know, the, the, the Steelers were down by 38 points in the third quarter. Uh, and it was just a bloodbath by that point. And, um, <clears throat> but Harris, uh, Harris's past game involvement, well, it's not completely concerning that, you know, not, not something that we should be fretting about. It's definitely not what it was. I mean, the, the last time these two teams played back in, I believe, early, early October, Najee Harris had 14 catches on 19 targets, which mm-hmm. when I saw it, I was sure that that was a mistake. Like that, like that couldn't have been real, but it, but it, it really did happen. Since then, Deontay Johnson has taken over as the dominator of underneath targets while Chase Claypool gets the downfield looks. And that's what we had today with uh, Deontay Johnson leading, leading the Steelers with uh, 14 targets. Uh, he now has 40 targets over three games. Uh, he, he caught nine of those for 95. And honestly, the, the Steelers uh, did fantasy managers a, a, a big favor. And they continued to roll out the starters when they were down by a million in mm-hmm. the fourth quarter. And uh, lots of production from Deontay. And, of course, from uh, Pat Fryermuth, who caught a fourth-quarter touchdown, came on that final garbage-time drive. So, salute to you, Mike Tomlin, for, for letting you, your Tomlin. guys play. Yeah, yeah, that's what we like to see. Pat Fryermuth, yeah, I mean, 40 yards uh, and a touchdown on four receptions, had four targets here. Uh, Chase Claypool went three for 82 on eight targets. Deontay Johnson, you mentioned the 14 targets, 9 for 95. So some decent production out of the passing game, at least, even though it was kind of a dud for Harris. But how did Roethlisberger look in this game? Man, he he was doing that flat-footed thing where he would just drop back and, you know, just stand there and, like, pump, 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 and then dump it off. Um, he threw <laughs> he, he threw He threw an ugly pick in the first quarter on a miscommunication with Claypool after which he screamed to Claypool for a while. Um, and then um, right after the, St- the Steelers forced a, a game-shifting turnover, they um, he immediately threw a pick six on a ball t- to the boundary uh, that, you know, that, that, that fluttered. I mean, it just it was not a strong throw, and the cornerback was able to get there mm-hmm. in plenty of time um, and, uh, you know, just waltzed into the end zone for, for a pick six. Um, and, and, and honestly, for fantasy purposes, that was a killer because uh, it just destroyed any semblance of a regular, like real offense that the Steelers could run from there. And and, and it forced the Bengals, not forced them, but it led to the Bengals uh, going super run heavy from there on. Let's talk about the second game you had where the Packers defeated the Rams 36 to 28. Yeah, uh, this is the third straight week where Matthew Stafford has thrown a pick six. It is. He he joins Matt Schaub as the only quarterback who has done that uh, since 2013. Of course, Schaub threw a pick six in an, an incredible four straight games in 2013. <laughs> uh, the Zoomers will have no idea what I'm talking about, but Matt Schaub was a, a franchise quarterback for the Houston Texans many years ago. Um, so Kubiak Stafford, what did you say? The Kubiak offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the days when uh, Andre Johnson used to see 15 targets a game. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, St- Stafford, um, I, I would say, looks alarmingly like Detroit Stafford at this point. And I think you're seeing kind of the, the empty stats 
that align with the way that, you know, he played for many years uh, for the Lions. He had 302 yards and three touchdowns, which is fine. You know, I mean, it, that seems fine. But it was all like like catch up desperation mode. He had the the ugly pick six. He had another, honestly, he had another ball that should have been a pick six and then another one that just should have been a regular standard interception. Um, uh, so it could have been, it could have been way worse, honestly, for Stafford. He's not right physically. He has the back issue. He has elbow issues, uh, just all sorts of injuries that we heard about on Sunday morning. I don't think that that's overblown. He he's, he's clearly struggling physically out there. And you mentioned the kind of the garbage stats, like what, what stats here are, yeah, kind of those fill in, like just kind of end of the game, not really indicative of how the the game was actually going. Well, uh, I would say, I don't, I, I would say at least three of Cooper Cup's receptions. He had seven catches on ten targets for ninety six yards, which you know is is, a, is an okay day. It's not what Cooper Cup uh, drafters have come to expect, but uh, at least three of those came in in pure garbage time. Um, uh, even Odell, Odell Beckham's touchdown, he caught a 54-yard touchdown over the top of the Green Bay secondary. Even that was was definitely in desperation mode, let's say. Um, so I'm 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 not sure we can like write that write those off. I don't I don't think we we should, but uh, the 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 game script definitely fed those opportunities for the pass catchers. That makes sense. Daryl Henderson had a pretty decent game here, despite. You know, the, the poor game script, uh, 16 carries, 55 yards, and then four receptions for 18 yards and a touchdown. Any thoughts on him and, and the backfield? I saw Sonny Michelle out there a little bit, but it seems like mm-hmm. Henderson was well ahead. Yeah, uh, Michelle had one rush for, for 11 yards. Um, I'm sorry, he, he had three rushes for 14. He had one catch for 11 yards, Sonny Michelle. Uh, Henderson was certainly inefficient and and never really broke off. Um, never really broke off a big run. His long rush of the day was seven yards, um, but he did catch a short touchdown, and it was a really nice catch because he got he took a vicious hit to the upper body slash head on the on that ball and or on that pass, and he still held on uh, for the score. So you know, <clears throat> I think when when he's healthy and when they can run the ball, he's going to see good volume. Um, in this one, it just wasn't really possible. Although he still saw 16 carries, so it's 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 not like he was in single digits or anything as far as rushing attempts goes. Um, but his usage, I think, was uh, was encouraging, and I don't I don't think that Sony Michelle is is any sort of threat to him at this point. What about the other backfield here, uh, Aaron Jones? You know, early in the week we thought there's no way he's playing, trying to. You know, as we got closer and closer, that he probably was. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, he's active for this game. But how close was he to kind of being the regular Aaron Jones? Because he only had ten carries here to AJ Dillon's twenty. But of course, the game script was very positive. Right, um, Aaron Jones. I don't believe he saw his first carry until the end of the first quarter, and um, you know he he didn't he didn't look a hundred percent. You know, twenty three yards, so two point three yards per carry. He did have one rush of eight yards. Um, honestly, the the and Aaron Rodgers referenced this after the game. The Packers' running game was really weak today. You know, uh, AJ Dillon had some impressive, tough runs in the fourth quarter, 
but even even though they were tough runs, they were still you know four, six, seven yards at a time. It, it, it's not like he busted off a, a long one at any point. Um, Dylan was by far and away the clear back here. Uh, I'm sorry, by far and away the lead back here. But after their bye week and week in this coming week in week 13, I think that we can probably expect, assuming that there, there are no setbacks or anything with Aaron Jones's M- MCL injury. Uh, we can expect something close to a 50-50 split uh, going forward at, when they come back. And then, you know, Devontae Adams obviously leads the way as usual. Any thoughts on the receivers here with mm-hmm. MVS, uh, you know, having the big game last week, but Alan Lazard mm-hmm. coming back from injury this week. And then I believe Randall Cobb was injured in this game. Yeah, Randall Cobb uh, left – suddenly with a groin injury and was and was quickly Im- immediately declared out with the groin injury uh, after a huge first half in which he caught four or five targets for 95 yards and a touchdown that included a 54 yard reception um you know Rodgers was just working the rams in the middle of the field for much of that first half and of course that's going to benefit Cobb who operates as the um the the slot guy he's healthy but um i'm i'm thinking that you know, he, he could miss some time. You know, I know they have a bye week this coming week, and, and so maybe that will prevent him from missing time. But um, the the severity, the seeming severity of this injury, uh, you know, could, could lead to him missing time, and that would be a big boost for uh, MVS, who was really not involved until, <clears throat> excuse me, until Cobb left the game. And then MVS uh, caught a couple passes, including a 28-yard pass near the sideline he ended up with 50 yards on four receptions and and the usage was still good you know he tied Devonte adams for the team lead with nine targets uh so mvs would would be probably you know low-end wide receiver too if uh randall cobb were out and then any thoughts on lazard or, or anyone else on the uh, not particularly. I just wanted real quick to shift back to, uh, the Rams real, real quick. Cause I forgot to mention Van Jefferson, uh, mm. who had nine targets, which was one, one less than both Cooper cup and Odell, Odell Beckham. Um, he did, he caught the 79 yard bomb from Stafford in the first half and he nearly had another long, long catch, uh, really disappointing 93 yard one touchdown day, honestly, for Van Jefferson, because, like I mentioned, there was the the near second deep ball, and then uh, he slipped and fell on you know a fifteen yard route where he had room to run if he had if he had kept his feet and caught it, it could have been another big play. So nine targets for him, which is awesome, but man, he left a lot out there on the field. All right, that's a great note, Denny Carter. Thanks so much. Thank you. The Falcons defeated the Jaguars twenty 21- one to 14 and Cordero Patterson had his first 100 yard rushing game of the season. A little surprising given how strong his season's been, but Kyle Dvorak, how did the Falcons pull this one out? I mean, you basically named the way they pulled it out. Cordero Patterson played really well. He like every week he plays running back or this hybrid role. Cause he also gets some snaps at receiver, but every week he plays this role, he just looks better and better and better at it. And it shouldn't be that surprising. He has been hyper efficient, like in every different way, he's been hyper efficient as a running back, as a kick returner throughout his career. He's finally just getting a chance to really put it all together. And I think it was only his second hundred yard rushing game of his career. And the, the only other time it happened was literally on three carries. I'm assuming he broke a 90 yard on one of those. Mm-hmm. So as a, as really anything other than the gadget player, it's his first hundred yard game of his career. 
he looks as good as we've seen all season and his role is only increasing. So he was basically it. And on the other side, Trevor Lawrence really couldn't get much going. The Jags offensive game plan was, I thought pretty weak. And, uh, you know, that was it. You don't need to do that much against the Jags when they put up 14 points and Cordero Patterson alone put 14 points on the board. Yeah. And if you look at Patterson's box score, 16 rushes, 108 yards, two touchdowns, three targets, two receptions, 27 yards. That's like a classic running back line. There's nothing about it that says a hybrid player. He looks like, you know, uh, just a true running back in the box score. Is that kind of how his usage looked or was he still in sort of a hybrid half wide receiver, half running back type of role? Yeah, I would. I don't know his snaps, but I would assume he played more uh, a pretty considerable amount of his snaps at running back in this game. And the carries, you know, in the box score simply show that as he gave up five carries to uh, Mike Davis and four carries to Wayne Gallman, neither of whom looked really good on their work. So unsurprisingly, he looks like their best option. He even looked like he might have been a tiny bit limpy at the very beginning of the game. And it just didn't matter. Like the dude is just so good. Uh, and he like not only is he good, he's electric, but he actually did like really running back things like he was stiff arming. He like laid the lumber down on, I assume, some poor cornerback and just trucked him over. <laughs> like he is incredibly large and athletic. And uh, it's almost just he like he reminds me of sort of uh, like rookie david johnson that kind of way maybe not wow. like, but he's similar right he does have he's, that i think he's older set. than david johnson is now that's oh my god yeah actually that's oof, yeah and he looks way better than david johnson does now i can tell you <laughs> that yeah what about the other guy we care about here kyle pitts uh he had two for 26 here six targets but obviously a pretty disappointing day yeah, I mean, like every team has decided, understandably so, he's the one guy you focus on. You're not like if Russell Gage, and he did in this game, scores one on you, that's fine. He posts a six for 62 line, which I think was his line today. And uh, you live with that. You don't live with Kyle Pitts breaking off long place. And he was draped in coverage the entire day. Staff or Stafford, uh, <laughs> Matt Ryan threw an interception that was supposed to go to him where he had help or the corner had help underneath and had him on top. So he was like double covered in that spot. It was actually a corner. I think just broke his zone off at the right time. So uh, that was one interception. Stafford had, I keep calling him Stafford. Matt Ryan had him short coming across the field. Maybe he was supposed to sit on the route once he found a, a spot in the zone. That's what I talked about in the broadcast, but uh, they weren't on the same page, underthrown, thrown behind him. It was like they, you know, he was obviously, like I said, draped in coverage. And when he finally got a chance to get a target, just couldn't make much of it. You hope for better days. I assume he still ends the week, uh, you know, on the season, top five in air yards and top 10 in targets among tight ends. That's not a player you're sitting. But yeah, when you have Russell Gage to draw coverage from you, of course, you're going to have games like this. On the other side, uh, Laquan Treadwell led to the Jaguars in receiving yards. So should we just burn it all that, down? That's how, exactly. I know where you're going. That exactly tells you how the day went. They went, <laughs> like you said, you know, that he led them. Uh, but they were going to him. He was like, well, he looked like the primary deep threat, which it tells you all you need to know. <laughs> it was an atrocious day. Uh, I mean, LaVisca Chenault still did the thing where LaVisca Chenault racks up, uh, you know, less than James White value targets just behind the line of scrimmage, at the line of scrimmage, mm -hmm. you know, Basically, should count as rush attempts because they're going, you know, parallel to the uh, to the quarterback at the at the point of his throw. Yeah, they have no idea how to use use Lavisca. Maybe you know a, a player's usage is in some way tied to who they are. I cannot entirely blame Urban Meyer for this, but it does seem like a really weak game plan when you're saying we're gonna get Lavisca behind the line of scrimmage five yards, and then when we want to push the sticks. That's when we go to Laquan Treadwell. To me, as much as I understand they are really struggling for the talent they have right now, Dan Arnold exits this game too, as if they needed more players to get hurt, right? I understand that they are struggling to find talent on this team. It seems like an incredibly weak game plan. Yeah, I think, you know, the Visca stuff aside, Laquan Treadwell 
you know, there's 31 franchises who I don't think would have him on the field, and he's their go-to guy right now. Uh, Trevor Lawrence seems to continue his struggles. Um, he at least threw for 228 yards here, throws a touchdown. He also ran for 39 yards on five attempts, which is something. But, you know, if you want to talk about things I think we can blame Urban Meyer for, the rookie's year so far has been absolutely terrible. Yeah, and it didn't look much better. Uh, Pro Football Focus has him graded as a very poor deep passer, which unsurprisingly, he didn't look great on anything that was not the, you know, four yard A dot or maybe negative four yard A dot throws to LaVisca. Just whenever he goes to push the ball down the field, it is spotty at best, oftentimes far less than that. He did. uh, They were both design runs and good scrambles from him. That's something you can kind of hang your hat on is that as hopefully as we've seen the season goes on, he runs a little bit more. Hopefully now he feels more comfortable breaking the pocket and taking some yards because he did run efficiently and often enough to get, you know, essentially a passing touchdown out of his legs in terms of the fantasy production. But that's enough to put you into startable QB2 territory with the way he's passing. He's just not giving you enough through the air. His team isn't his team isn't designing an offense around him well enough that you can rely on anything more than QB2 numbers, both based on his usage, but also, also just relatively inaccurate as, you know, we expect some rookie quarterbacks to be. And then any thoughts on James Robinson to close it out? Yeah, he is James Robinson. He got benched in this game for it seemed like a drive and a half after a fumble. They saw Carlos Hyde for that drive and a half and Dario Gumbawale, and they thought, let's unbench James Robinson, I would imagine. Maybe the <laughs> smartest decision we saw from Urban Meyer in this game. Y- you expect to get 15 carries almost as a floor unless they really get doused and three or four targets, and it's kind of, kind of the floor-ceiling combo you get. Lots of touches. He's not going to get in the red zone often. He's probably not breaking a ton of long plays because the team just doesn't have the playmakers to distract defenses from him. But that's more than enough to put up RB2 numbers given his dominance of the touches as the box score showed in this game, despite him taking the drive. Maybe it was even two drives off for Carlos Hyde. All right. Kyle Dvorak, thanks so much. Have a good one. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal And when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. The Giants defeated the Eagles 13-7 to in a game where the Eagles became the first team this season to score a touchdown after having a 10-plus play drive that included zero completions. This was the type of game that the Eagles were looking to play, even though they lost. 
Uh, Jalen Hurts never got it going through the air, but he did look good as a rusher. He had eight carries for 77 receptions. And when he would run zone read plays, he was ripping off chunk gains. Uh, he had four carries over 10 yards going going for, I think the longest one was 18 yards. Uh, that was his longest carry of the day. He also had some nice scrambles. And, you know, that, w- that part of the offense was working well. He also did have another designed run attempt. It looked like, it looked like a, a fake handoff rather than his own read that was called back. Um, so overall, you know, Jalen Hurts running really well and, you know, looking really good doing it, but did not get anything going through the air. He did not find Demonte Smith very often, only had two for 22. Quez Watkins had a really nice catch along the sidelines, but went two for 23. Dallas Goddard only had three targets in this game. He had one reception for zero yards. So very disappointing day for Goddard. Jalen Rager was actually the guy that Hertz was looking to the most here. He had seven targets, but it was a disappointing day. Very disappointing day for Rager. He was, you know, he had a drop where uh, late in the game, uh, he had a ball bounce off his helmet almost led to an interception, kind of bounced off his helmet, helmet, then his hands. Then it almost led to what would have been a a game-sealing interception. And then at the very end of the game, the last play, I think that actually might have been like two or one or two plays after the the helmet drop, uh, Jalen Hurts took a deep shot to him. You know, there's very little time left. They're down by six, takes a deep shot to the end zone, and Jalen Rager drops it uh, just in front of the end zone. So tough day for Rager. Uh, he also failed to connect with Hertz on a uh, fourth on a fourth down slant. It was a short fourth down um, conversion. Kind of did like a quick slant play, and he was not on the same page with Hertz. He did have a nice leaping uh, kind of turnaround leaping catch that got them down to the two. But Jalen Hurts threw three interceptions in this game, and one of those interceptions came on that drive where they got down to the two right before halftime, and then Jalen Hurts ended up throwing an interception. I believe Boston Scott was the intended receiver, but it wasn't even really clear. It's like it was just kind of crowded, and, and he threw it. Uh, and you know, if it honestly, it was like the type of play that you sometimes see get returned for six. Uh, this did not, but. Not a good throw by Hertz. He also had another interception that was in, actually in the end zone instead of just in front of it. Um, that play, I believe, was intended for Quez Watkins. And he had all the time in the world, Hertz did on that throw, and still threw a bad interception. Um, and he had a third interception in this game as well. And uh, that one was actually intended for Rager in double coverage. So that one I don't think was Rager's fault, uh, despite some of the other miscues. Hertz just did not play well in this game as a passer. Good as a rusher. Um, Miles Sanders looked good as a rusher in this game, but he turned his ankle on a 27-yard run. And he then did return to the game. So I don't think it's a major issue, but definitely something to keep an eye on. And it affected his overall playing time throughout this game, which is one of the reasons why he had nine carries going for 64 yards. And then Boston Scott had 15 carries and he went for 64 yards as well. Boston Scott had two receptions for eight yards on three targets. Miles Sanders had one reception for zero yards on one target. 
Boston Scott, you know, wasn't just this ankle thing. Boston Scott was involved throughout the game. Looked like almost like kind of the one A at times, um, but definitely a true committee. And Boston Scott, I think, had a chance to maybe pull away, especially if Miles Sanders is going to be banged up and, and kind of be the one A to a to a banged up one B next week potentially. But on the second to last drive that that the Eagles had in this game he had a very costly fumble, kind of like a game-losing fumble in a way, um, where they you know, had a chance with about two minutes left to drive down and potentially get a game-winning touchdown. And Scott had the ball punched. It wasn't even really punched out. It was sort of swatted at, and that was enough to uh, have him lose control of the ball. But it wasn't like a, a peanut punch. Uh, the defender got his arm kind of on the ball slash on Scott's arm and he coughed it up. Uh, it was a pretty bad fumble, really, uh, given given the context, especially, um, you know, not protecting the ball that well. And then after that fumble on the next drive, we did see Kenneth Gainwell out there. And, you know, he was kind of the guy in like desperation mode that was playing the receiving back role. So it does seem unlikely to me that he would have been that guy had Scott not fumbled. So that's something to keep an eye on. You know, Scott's role, I think, is probably going to be the same next week. But, you know, it remains to be seen how this very costly fumble that he had affects his playing time. And then Sanders obviously need to keep an eye on his practice because uh, of the ankle injury. On the Giants side, you know, pretty boring day for the Giants offense. I mean, they only score 13 points in this game, even though they get the win. Saquon Barkley, I think the best thing. Uh, we saw out of the Giants was a 32-yard Saquon Barkley run where he looked like Saquon Barkley. Like, he looked elusive. He looked – he had the burst. You know, it was kind of everything that we've been looking to see from Barkley, showing that he's healthy. You know, I think that was a very good sign. Overall, Barkley had a disappointing day. He had 40 yards on the ground. Uh, he had another 13 yards through the air. Not a good day for Barkley from a, a fantasy perspective, but there could be better days ahead. Daniel Jones only had 202 rushing or 202 passing yards in this game. So you're not going to have a ton of fantasy production here. Um, and so Kenny Galladay, they clearly tried to get involved, particularly in the end zone. They targeted him on a fade. It's kind of a bad design um, and didn't really have that much chance, but they were definitely looking for him. And then they also targeted him uh, earlier in the end zone as well. He was totally covered on that play as well. So, you know, kind of forcing it a little bit to Kenny Galladay, but at least they're looking for him. Darius Slayton had just 10 yards less than Galladay, had with 40. Galladay had 50. Uh, Evan Ingram, you know, a little bit involved. One of the more interesting plays of the day was a flea flicker from Saquon Barkley, you know, Saquon Barkley handoff, flea flicker back to Daniel Jones. <laughs> then it's a tight end screen. Uh, I've never really seen that where you're flea flicking it into a screenplay to Evan Ingram. It was kind of a cool play, to be honest, but at the same time, not exactly the highest upside way to play a flea flicker where you sometimes see teams go downfield. Uh, they just had a screen pass out of it. So, you know, Evan Ingram involved in that way. Clearly, that was a designed play to get Evan Ingram the ball. Uh, but overall, three for 37. John Ross involved a little bit. Um, we had Chris Miarek, the tight end, uh, playing in, in, in Kyle Rudolph's stead. He had his first career catch in this game, which went for a touchdown. He had another catch, but not a ton of production uh, out of the Giants. And overall, you know, I don't think a ton to take away from kind of a game manager type of performance. I guess 
if the Giants are playing in a game where they're allowed to play like this, they will. They you know, clearly wanted Daniel Jones to take care of the ball and kind of be a game manager in this game. And he did deliver. He did almost throw an interception, but that even wasn't his fault. He had a ball bounce off of Evan Ingram's hands, and the Philly defender was out of bounds when he intercepted it following uh, the drop from Evan Ingram. It wasn't a great throw by Jones. Didn't really set Ingram up well, but it wasn't like a bad throw, bad interception like we were seeing from Hurts. So that'll do it for the Giants and the Eagles. The Buccaneers defeated the Colts 38-31 to in a game where the Bucs have now had six games this season of 30-plus points. Colts weren't quite able to hang with the Bucs in this one, John Daigle. A tale of two halves. The Colts actually built a 24-14 first-half lead from perfect play calling and execution from the top down. Frank Wright, Carson Wentz, tight ends blocking and receivers getting open and making big plays. Wentz was actually 16 to 24 for 197 yards in all three of his touchdowns in the first half. A 62-yard drop in the bucket downfield that actually accrued 59 air yards for his first touchdown. Then a terrific play call uh, for Jack Doyle on a wheel route over Tampa Bay zone coverage. Wentz scrambles out to his right. Safety has to choose. He instead middles and doesn't tail with Doyle. Thus, Wentz just zips it over his head for a touchdown in the back of the end zone. And then aggressive play calling, showing that they wanted at home to beat the defending Super Bowl champs. And they punched him in the mouth at the four-yard line, fourth and one. They don't kick the field goal. They get aggressive. And Wentz finds T.Y. Hilton running to the right of the end zone for a four-yard score. Now... Fast forward to the second half, because as we know, most sequels, most part twos, unless the Godfather are not good at all. Uh, the Colts come out with their first you possession. Like the Godfather part two? No, except the Godfather. That's the only good <laughs> oh, Okay, sorry. I, uh, anyone, anyone could try to tell me there's another good part two besides the Godfather. Not true, though. Uh, Colts come out with their first possession in the second half. Wentz gets blindsided by Shaq Barrett. Sack fumble. Tampa Bay recovers. No big deal. We can we can still figure this one out. Uh, Scotty Miller, 37-yard DPI, draws it downfield. Fournette goes in for a touchdown. Okay, now it's 24-21. We're okay. Everyone calm down. It's going to be just fine. Uh, Antoine Winfield runs Michael Pittman's route for him for an interception as Wentz throws him a deep target, as he tends to do, hoping for a flag as well. But Winfield just out-athletes him and gets it. And then the Bucks again come down and respond with a one-yard touchdown run from Ronald Jones, who sprinkled in and placed Leonard Fournette, not for usage-wise, literally just to relieve him because he was tired of carrying the Bucks on his back all day. We'll get to that in a second as well. Now it's 28-24. We exchange a few possessions, and after the Colts stop the Bucks, they receive a punt. Naheem Hines whiffs it, and now the Bucks get the ball just inside the red zone. Okay, you're screwed now. Uh, you hold the Bucks to a field goal, 31-24 in the fourth quarter. That's okay. And now the Colts get the ball back with 10 minutes remaining. Mind you, everything I've said this whole time, all this is going on, basically happened in the span of 17 minutes. Not only that, Jonathan Taylor does not have a single carry throughout the entire third quarter. Uh, on the first nine possessions, Taylor had nine carries for 30 yards. Now let's fast forward again to 10 minutes remaining in this game, and they say, okay, we'll just take the Washington approach. 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Let's kill the clock. We won't give the ball back to Brady with too much time left. Let's take care of business at home, tie this game, go into overtime, flip a coin, see what happens. And on that last drive, the Colts and Jonathan Taylor had eight carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. His four-yard score coming on that drive. They gave him the ball. They pushed them around. That's okay, and they tied the game. But still too much time left. 
for Lombardi Lenny as the Bucks now are just killing the clock with a little over two minutes remaining. They get down to around 30 seconds left, hand it off. They're settling for a field goal essentially at the 30-yard line. Liddy says, no way. He runs in for a 28-yard score. Colts get the ball back with 10 seconds remaining, has to take a Hail Mary shot, gets picked off. Overall, an actually incredible, amazing game that just shows the difference between a contending team not playing well, still executing and winning a game, as opposed to a team wanting to contend and having far too many turnovers and mistakes. Yeah, that's uh, that's nice. We finally got an exciting game. A uh, little bit of a boring Thanksgiving slate, so thank you to the Colts <laughs> and the Bucks. What did you uh, What did you make of you know Jonathan Taylor's you know he, the kind of drought that you talked about uh, with his rushing carries, but he does go for 83 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, and Jonathan Taylor also had four receptions for 14 yards on five targets. Simply just wasn't being used. In that second half, again, we talked about that stretch in the third quarter. Uh, the Colts actually called 25 consecutive passes. Now, a few of those were RPOs, but overall, no concerned plays, no concentrated plays for Jonathan Taylor. And so that's why his touches were slightly lacking. He still got there with 20 Still out-targeted Naheem Hines 5-4. to four. I would say, though, we now have three games in a row where Taylor is significantly out-touching Naheem Hines, but we also haven't seen a game script yet in that span where Hines would be used. So we're still kind of waiting to see if they trail significantly, what would happen. Mm-hmm. But overall, Taylor is still very clearly overall RB1, I guess, now moving forward since McCaffrey went down. Yeah, uh, and Michael Pittman, any thoughts on on him? Ten targets here, goes four for 53. You mentioned uh, you know letting the defender run his route for him. T.Y. Hilton had four for 28 and a touchdown, so a more productive day, but only five targets to Pittman's 10. So Pittman you know, looks like the clear wide receiver one here going forward, right? Just his own worst enemy. Uh, two drops on there in the Colts' first two possessions on three targets. I did have a, another situation also where he should have came down with the ball, but overall, to just haul in four of your 10 targets and basically was not for Carson Wentz being inaccurate, clearly a disaster. So I would attribute that to his you know lack of success, whereas, Colts, whereas Wentz was finding success with all the other receivers I mentioned and you mentioned. And then you know let's talk about Fournette on the other side. He had 100 yards here, 17 carries, has seven receptions for 31 yards. Gets three touchdowns on the ground, one touchdown through the air. Gets eight targets here, which was the second most on the team behind Rob Gronkowski. So just a obviously an incredible fantasy performance here from Fournette and seals the game with the touchdown. Ronald Jones, you mentioned, was mixing in. He did actually have seven rushes for 37 yards and a touchdown. But to your point, just kind of like explain the uh, the split here. It sounds like Fournette has like a, a pretty big lead as, as he's had over the last few weeks. Significantly. And out of their bye, it's just been the Fournette show. Uh, In this game, he was truly the engine running the offense just to have his 17 carries, but also all eight of the team's running back targets. And now he's averaging out of their bye the last three games, 7.6 targets per game, just truly being used as an elite pass-catching low-end RB1 option as well. Uh, Even in their last drive that we were talking about, them killing the final two minutes of the game, Fournette was involved for a 13-yard catch and then runs of that 28-yard touchdown, 11 and 8 yards. Uh, Godwin and Evans combined for 
two catches and 11 yards on that final drive. Basically, we're insignificant compared to Fournette. And then, of course, Gronk settling, not even shallow in the zone. There were so many deep targets for Gronk in this game. His 123 yards were not only a season-high mark, that's the most he's had since he's uh, come out of retirement and joined the Bucks and Brady since last year. Very clearly a top three tight end when he's healthy. When he's healthy, obviously, involves a caveat. But nonetheless, when he's healthy, an amazing clear-cut top, top end tight end. Any thoughts on Brady's day? Because, you know, as, as well as Fournette played, he only had 100 yards. You know, it wasn't one of these situations where he ran for like 170 yards or something. Um, and then he only had 31 yards through the air. You mentioned him being the engine. You mentioned Gronkowski having 123 yards. That led the team by a considerable margin because Fournette was second on the team with 31 yards. So Godwin, Evans, all held below 25 yards receiving. What was up with Brady to where he wasn't really supporting, honestly, all that much offense? He was under pressure a little bit. Uh, remember, they didn't have left guard Ollie Moppet in this game, and Aaron Stinney was the replacement starter, also got knocked out in the first quarter. So that left a gigantic hole on the left side of their offensive line. But overall, it was dribbling just taking what the defense gave them, what D.C. Matt Aprobless's zone scheme handed to them, and that was Gronk over the middle and Fournette underneath. Hence why, like Brady's yards per attempt and just overall his production isn't explosive, but still just peppering down. There were a few tight calls, tight possessions, like to out the gates in the first half. Hence why they were trailing by two points to begin with. But nonetheless, the second half was significantly better. Uh, I just think it was overall a a good defensive scheme for the Colts. Hmm. All right. John Daigle, thanks so much. The Jets defeated the Texans 21-14 to in New York's first road win of the season. Rivers McCown, I'm sorry that you had to watch this. Thanks. Um, I've asked for double pay. Um, Pat hasn't said anything yet. Yeah, that's other Pat. Uh, that's that's uh, not up to me. But hopefully Pat Darty will come through for you on that. Uh, what, what did you see? What did, what did you see between uh, spouts of, of eye blood? I saw two pass offenses that were just not interested in throwing the ball at all downfield. Uh, Zach Wilson had his deepest completion was 22 yards. Um, and Tyrod Taylor had a 40-yard touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks and otherwise was completely uninterested in pushing the ball downfield. Uh, the Texans got a 14-3, to and then the Jets kind of were able to cobble together some drives and be more aggressive than Texans were. Let's talk about uh, the Jets first. Who is uh, Austin Walter? Great question. We're all we're all learning more and more about Austin Walter today. Um, but uh, he is from Rice, I believe, and he did come out and look pretty exceptional as far as uh, you know, burst out of the backfield today. Did he um, actually? So he he was a, a running back who played more than expected. Nine carries, thirty-eight yards, and a touchdown. He was also targeted once. But limited Ty Johnson's uh, role. We only he only had six carries for forty two yards. Uh, Ty Johnson uh, only had one target as well. Did not catch it. And then Tevin Coleman led the way. Sixteen rushes for sixty seven yards. Three targets, two receptions, and three yards. So no real backfield production in the receiving game. But Austin Walter had like a pretty big impact here. But you, you thought he looked good? Yeah, he looked like he belonged for sure. Um, and he pretty much took the. Uh... The, the Michael Carter role and ran with it for, for the most part. Like he wasn't that he wasn't number one, but he was, you know, in the mix there. 
And so Tevin Coleman was like bumped Michael up. Carter week two or week three or something. Yeah, Tevin Coleman gets bumped up, and then Austin Walter kind of takes that that uh, second back slot, while uh, Zach Wilson uh, overthrows his running backs by ten yards per pass. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Elijah Moore? I mean, he was kind of in the midst of a breakout here. Uh, maybe didn't have the best connection with Wilson, like he had had you know struggled to have all year. Uh, Elijah Moore going four for forty six here on eight targets. Yeah, he looked good. Um, he was he, he converted a key fourth down on that little sweep that got him seven rushing yards. But uh, it's hard. This this offense just was dysfunctional today. It looked really bad, and against any other team, they probably would have lost. But the Texans exist, so good news for the Jets. <laughs> good news for the Jets. Uh, let's talk about the Texans. Uh, David Johnson had ten rushes for thirty nine yards. Rex Burkhead had twelve for twenty seven. Uh, Tyra Taylor had two for 30. What, what do we do with this backfield? Ignore it. <laughs> uh, yeah. David Johnson, uh, had, I think eight of his carries early went pretty well, uh, on one of his, like, I think it's his last catch. He got dinged up at some point and he spent the entire second half. He came back like three times. He was in the blue medical tent, uh, took a rush and then walked off, uh, went to the medical tent. Uh, took a rush, and then walked off back to the medical tent. So he was pretty much in that the entire game, and that let Burkhead get more carries than uh, hmm. expected. He kind of got almost all the third and fourth quarter share. So if you're looking like at injuries, like David Johnson didn't technically leave the game at any point. Uh, he was never questionable to return or anything. But that sure seemed like Rex Burkhead taking over there. Hmm. What about uh, Brandon Cooks here going three for 45 and a touchdown on five targets? Is this a spike week? Does that actually count as a, a Brandon Cooks spike week now? <laughs> I think it does. I think it does, yeah. <laughs> he, he got one deep pass, and we're all happy for him because his other two catches, uh, one was like a like three-yard out on third and two that he was just swallowed up on and barely was able to catch, and another was a screen for one yard. So Texans passing offense is keeping it interesting with Brandon Cooks. Yeah, the 40, 40 yard uh, long completion to Brandon Cooks. That's nice. Five additional yards on two receptions is not nice, uh, to your point there. Nico Collins had a 20 yard reception, uh, which is great. Uh, Brevin Jordan <laughs> got in the end zone. That's cool. Brevin other Jordan, player, kind of a deep dynasty league guy. Other players have played for the Texans, indeed. <laughs> that will yes. continue to be true. Uh, Brevin Jordan. <laughs> Brevin Jordan caught a third and goal catch. Uh, it was it was a like third and long. It's like like ten or eleven, I think. And uh, he caught it. His descent, his defender fell down. He got a touchdown. Congrats to Brevin Jordan. I wouldn't want to be like banking on anything out of that out of fantasy. Congrats to Jevin Jordan, Brevin Jordan, and Jevin Jordan. Jordan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who, who will be playing for the Texans in Week Seventeen? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Rivers, uh, for walking us through this uh, this minefield of the game. You're welcome. I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for the Week 12 Recap Pod. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check out all the other pods on our podcast network and make sure to check us back out here again, Week 13 Recap Podcast. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast. That would really help us out, and we'll see you next week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.